Hello, my friends, dear listeners. Welcome to another episode of the Nishankar Show. Before we start this podcast, before I introduce my guest, Diana Chapman, I want to make an announcement that if you, dear listener, want to be on this podcast as a guest, if you want to share your stories, if you want to share your vulnerabilities, growth, healing, mindfulness, spirituality, if you have amazing things to share, not amazing if you want to share anything that can bring change if if you want to share things that can bring healing if you want to share anything that can create a ripple effect i would love to know more about that so please send me an email you will find the link in this episode description to send me an email and uh, send me a few lines two two or three lines to let me know that why you want to be on this podcast and i would love to hear from you if you feel inclined to share your stories on this podcast this is something new i am inclined to try rather than bringing some new guest that is going to happen and along with bringing new guests i want to interview my listeners who have been supporting my journey and to bring their stories how they have learned from this podcast and what different modalities they have in their lives to stay grounded to learn grow and connect to themselves connect to their emotions so again if you feel inclined please send me an email right now i'm not sure how many episodes in that category i will do i'm thinking about 3 or 4 right now we will see how it goes from there if if we all feel great in that experiment i will have more of that i will invite more of the applications and emails so Please please let me know how you feel about it. And uh, and let's talk about our new guest Diana Chapman. Diana Chapman is an advisor to exceptional leaders who has worked with over 1000 organization leaders and many of the teams and she is a founding partner at Conscious Leadership Group. She has created and implemented professional onboarding and ongoing programs based on the comprehensive body of work she developed with the Conscious Leadership Group co-founder Jim Detmer. and in addition to facilitating conscious leadership group forums in the bay area for founders venture capitalists and ceos worldwide she also trains coaches in conscious leadership in the conscious leadership community group training program she and jim created and she also co-authored the best selling book the 15 commitments of conscious leadership group a new paradigm for sustainable success she has been a speaker at tedx mindful leadership Summit Wisdom 2.0, Stanford Graduate School of Business, and many others. In this episode, we talk about how to liberate our wild parts, how to develop playfulness attitude, how to end the drama, the ending of drama triangle, conscious leadership model. How do we use Enneagram in our leadership? styles in our daily lives what is whole body yes clearing moral script we can use this script whenever we have challenges with our peers with our friends or anyone how to clear the energies how to clear the space between us and another person and we we go a lot deeper in this conversation please note that we this episode was recorded in 2022 last year so Please enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Diana Chapman. Diana, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so happy to be here with you, Diana, and thank you so much for taking your precious time to talk to us. I was reading about you about your book, The 15 Commitments of Conscious Leadership. and we'll get so many different opportunities to get into the book details and i was really wondering where should we start from so i think the best way to start is from one of your linkedin post few weeks ago you wrote about i am all about liberating my wild self these days so <laughs> could you talk to us more about your liberation from your wild self these days and it comes from one of your blogs actually one of the blogs from Jim who is the co-founder of conscious leadership yeah jim was writing about how we have these socialized selves that we've created that are meant to 
you know, keep us in connection with other people and be polite and follow the collective agreements and things like that, which is all wonderful. And, but there's also this wild self that is really aligned with just what's happening in the body and the heart in the mind. And so I've been particularly interested in coming back and making sure that I've fully liberated my wild self so that I'm allowing life to move through me. There's a flow that happens through me that I'm not crimping or tightening around because I'm afraid of what that impact might be that wants to protect my identity. So one of the ways that looks is I'm noticing how much more anger wants to come through me these days. An anger that says, stop, this isn't working. And and that's sometimes it's got quite a quite a punch to it. Not a critical punch or a, a blaming punch, but a stop. Like really, this really isn't working. We have to go a different direction. So that's one way I find myself wild, my wild self coming out more is through, I think, a very loving anger. You say that loving anger. I want to touch base upon the sources of your anger, if you don't mind talking to us about what is causing your anger. Yeah, well, I look around and I see systems that aren't working. I see inequality that's not working. I see stories that people are holding about, particularly about how they think they should try to avoid being uncomfortable that aren't working, that aren't allowing us to evolve and grow. And so love is angry sometimes. And the intelligence of anger says something here is not serving me or my people. That's what love says as it's angry. It doesn't criticize or blame. It just says this isn't the most evolved option for us. Let's make a change. Let's stop something and start something else. And so I think we can get caught up in the belief that anger isn't loving. And I think what we've been, most of us don't know what it's like to have anger that's not critical and blaming. Then is there a way to process this loving anger in our body or through different modalities? Yeah, when I feel it, it's often it's often got some heat. It's often coming up through my back, my neck, my shoulders, my jaw. And it's, I, I call it the hackle zone. Like if you see a cat get up in and raise its hackles like it's hissing. <laughs> right? That's your hackle zone. That's your anger zone. That's where anger usually rises from the body. And it wants to move through the body. And so sometimes there's some sound or movement, but often there are just some clarity of, of what wants to change. And so I speak that and ask people to pay attention to, to what they're not facing or what's not working. And it's protective, this anger, and it's also not righteous. Like I'm open to the opposite being true as well, but it still takes a stand regardless. Diana, where did you grow up? I grew up in Fort Wayne, Indiana. And do you recall any favorite stories from your childhood that you still carry in your heart? Mm, I think my favorite teacher was my second grade teacher, Mrs. Tritch. And what I loved about her is she made learning fun. She gamified things. She made things really playful. And I, I loved learning so much with her. And she was, along with my mother, a really great ally in, in helping me connect play to quick learning. And so I have taken that mindset and it's something that matters to me a lot that when we're, especially when we're doing our deeper transformational work, that we make sure we're playing a lot. And one of my favorite ways I like to keep that going now is I like to play with parts of ourselves. So for example, last weekend, I had a group of 10 tech founders here and we did 
a night of persona play where I had a bunch of costumes and people had to pick <laughs> part of themselves and pick out a part of themselves that they're really afraid of or have some shame around or don't really feel free to let out. And so they dressed up like that part and we went out publicly and acted out those parts at a restaurant and got to feel the liberation in a very playful and wildly exaggerated way. And it's very fun to see that when people are given permission to exaggerate these parts of themselves, how much more they can relax and open to those parts. So back in your childhood, what kind of games did you play? I was very much into imaginative games and I played a lot of making forts out in the woods. I was really adventurous and I loved collecting things was a way I liked to play. I collected all kinds of different stamps and beer cans and I collected little animals I'd find out in the woods. And I really liked sailboating and hunting for turtles. I was outside a lot, which is and riding horses and I think playing in nature was fed me a lot and still does. I, I still like to go do a lot of backpacking and things like that. So being playful early in your childhood, how did that help you in transform or shape your childhood days into adulthood days? What, how are you different from other children, if this question makes sense? How was I different from other kids? Well, you know, when I was in college and sororities, I was in a sorority, and I remember there was a pretty common theme where everybody would just want to go to these fraternity parties and drink beer. And I remember always saying, hey, we could we could have a party at our own house <laughs> and we could play Pictionary and we could get these big pieces of paper and we could invite the guys to come. And I was always coming up with like, what other ways could we play? And so I think I do have a lot of vision about the possibilities of different ways to play. And I think I'm good now when somebody says, oh, I have this issue in my marriage or I have this issue at work. I'm really good at coming up with ways we could play with that issue and, and find some humor in it. Because one of the ways that I see people get stuck is taking things too seriously. Right. And so I like to bring some play in so we can relax. And it's in that relaxation that we get to learn so much more quickly. So I've, I think I am different in that I'm good at coming up with lots of ways to play in the moment with whatever is happening. So when you offer playfulness attitude to tech founders and leaders you work with, do you receive a pushback that they are not comfortable to have this playfulness and humorous attitude? If yes, then how do you how do you motivate them to adopt this attitude? Well, I think I have to be honest that probably people know my reputation, so I'm probably attracting people who are more likely to be adventurous in these ways because they know that's part of the programs I offer. However, there are some who are quite shy in the beginning. And so I make sure that I come forward in my own, playing my own parts out and exaggerating them. So I I'm role model it and give them a little push. And once they get started, they're very excited to, I think human beings are longing to play more. And so they get, they get into it. And in fact, you know, these groups stay with me for years at a time. And the group that was with me recently said, we want to play and we want to play even wilder than we have before. And so I think they feel the liberation that that play brings them and, and also the joy and the laughter and all these things that get our endorphins going, make us feel so good. Diana, when people ask you, what do you do for work? then how do you usually respond to this question? My simple answer is I help people eliminate drama in their lives. And I specialize in bringing that to organizations and teams so they can learn to work with each other and collaborate without so much drama. And of course, that often bleeds over into their personal lives as well. And so that's the, that's the simple answer. And the more sophisticated... <laughs> The more sophisticated answer is, I really am interested in helping people become more conscious, which means, can they be present 
and aware right here, right now of what's happening in a non-triggered, non-reactive state and giving them tools to be able to learn how to do that so that they're more able to respond to the moment, which creates less drama than react. So there are two directions that I would love for you to explore, eliminate drama and helping people become more conscious. So let's touch base on eliminating drama. What kind of drama are you talking about here, Diana? I'm talking about the drama of coming home at the end of the day and gossiping to your significant other of that <laughs> colleague or boss that's driving you crazy. I'm talking about the drama that happens when people are not telling each other the truth at work and they're reactive underneath their polite conversations and not really being honest. I'm talking about the drama when teams, you know, product is frustrated because of sales and vice versa, and they're feeling at the effect of one another. I'm talking about the drama that happens when people are no longer motivated and they're overwhelmed and frustrated. So lots of different forms that drama can show up in a workplace. Then what are the different ways to eliminate drama? And I believe that these dramas are not related to just workplace. They are connected to our personal lives as well, because we all have drama in our personal life. Yeah. Yeah. So we basically started to, we use this model above and below the line that I learned from the Hendricks Institute, Gay and Kathleen Hendricks. And I don't know where it originally came from, but the model basically suggests that when you're above the line, you're in an open and curious state where you're willing to learn. And when you're below the line, you're in a closed reactive state. And we're all actually quite wired to stay below the line and, or not to stay below the line, but to go below the line in reactivity when we perceive a threat to our security or our control or our approval. And so I wrote a book with two other co-authors, Kaylee Klemp and Jim Dethmer, where we articulated what are the different things you would need to commit to and organize around in order to stay more in that open, curious place. And we came up with 15 different things you'd need to do. We think that's a lot, but they really, it's a very comprehensive model. And so the very first commitment, which also we got from the Hendricks, was the commitment to take 100% responsibility, radical responsibility for your results, rather than be in victimhood, which is what happens when you're below the line. And so we've articulated these 15 different things. This is what it looks like above the line. This is what it looks like below the line. And we help people learn to practice and give them very practical tools on how they can commit above the line to these things. Could you share some of the practical tools that we can be above the line and be responsive to the situation? Sure. Would you be open to having me do work with you on this? And so I could actually, we could role model it together. I would love that. Thank you so much. Okay. So I'd like you to think of an issue that has been frustrating for you lately that you'd be willing to share with all of us. Something that maybe has been repeating that you haven't yet been able to get to shift yet. So, so the answer that comes to mind is that nothing is frustrating to me right now because we are having this podcast conversation after I went on a spiritual retreat in Sedona. So I'm experiencing a lot of emptiness and nothingness these days. Got it. What's something that you've recently been complaining about before that all happened? Could just be something trivial, like the dishes didn't get put away, or somebody's not following through on something you asked them to do. Is there I anything was complaining about the work I'm doing in tech, because I also work in tech. I've spent more than a decade in tech. So I was in this conflict about leaving tech and do this kind of podcasting work on a full-time basis. And then I was shifting that I don't have to, or I don't get to have, or what I was wondering that I can have two worlds at the same time. I can still work in tech and I can still do this podcasting blogging at the same time. So, but I was complaining a lot in last, last year, December about 
not wanting to work in tech because I wasn't enjoying the work I was doing. And I realized that maybe the, my passion is gone from tech. I don't want to work in tech anymore. So it took me quite some time to figure it out. And I'm still trying to figure it out. Where, okay. is, where is my next direction? Okay, so let's imagine Stanford called and they want you to teach a master course on how to not have fun in tech anymore. Hmm. And there's going to be a whole room for, full of people who want to learn how to not have fun in tech anymore. Did you used to have fun in tech at the beginning? I used to have a lot of fun for 10 years. Okay, good. So this is a group of people for whom they're having a lot of fun in tech, but they want to create the same complaint of not having as much fun in tech anymore. And they've come to this course that you're going to teach. And your job is to teach the class, how have you created not having as much fun in tech? And you can teach the rest of us that we too cannot have as much fun in tech if we follow your master course. All right. So I will teach that. <laughs> I will teach that. Do not give your 100%. Do not take responsibility. Show okay, resistance. Hold on, hold, on, we have to, hold on. It's always really fun if we introduce you. So we want to say... <laughs> We want to say, ladies and gentlemen, we have our professor here, and he's here to teach a course. And professor, what is the title of your course? How Not to Have Fun in Tech. Okay. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. And oh, by the way, is this a PhD level course, or are you just new to this? Is this just a 101 level course? It is a 101 level. 101 level. Okay, great. Okay, so everybody, welcome to How to Not Have Fun in Tech. Professor, please begin. And could you tell us by steps, like what would be the first step we'd want to do if we follow your the way you've done it? The first step would be that do not follow the process. What your manager and boss says, do not follow that. Always challenge them to change their process, but do not adhere to their process. Always challenge their process. That is the number one step. Okay. And does that mean we'd have to believe that their process really doesn't work or isn't valuable? Yes, that process is very old. You are living in this new world, so why not bring your own process? Why to stick to the old manager's processes? Those processes are very old. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So you have to believe that they aren't trust. They're they're not using trustworthy processes, and um, and that you shouldn't follow them. And then they are using trustworthy process, but those processes are very old. Uh, they're outdated. Got it. Got it. You have to believe that they're outdated and not trustworthy. And do you tell them that? I told them through my provocative behavior. <laughs> my attitude was that I'm, I'm, I'm here as a consultant. I'm going to change your design. I'm going to change everything you're doing for your betterment. But I will change everything before adapting to your process. Yes, I was uh, provocative. Uh, I was provocative. Uh, I was that, not adapting to them. Ah, uh, got it. Okay, so I didn't come in from the inside and be open and curious and, and see the value of what you're doing and then invite you to someplace new. That would right. that would that might get us actually to be happy. We have to kind of be a little more little more challenging and a little less accepting. Is that right? Right. Challenging uh -huh. and less accepting. Got it. <laughs> Got it. Yeah, that, I could see how that could start to create a little dissonance between me and those leaders. Yes. Uh-huh. Great. And then that wouldn't be as much fun. Yeah, that is not fun at all. Yeah. Yeah, great. So we can just see, even with these just these first couple of steps, we all can see, class, that our professor is really quite a master here. And if you follow that first step, that'll certainly get you started in not having as much fun. Absolutely. Is there one more is there one more step, Professor, you could share with all of us about how we can we too cannot have as much fun in tech? How not to have more fun? What what is coming to mind is not following the timesheet. When people ask you to fill the timesheet to put in eight hours a day, you don't have to put in eight hours a day. Do not put in the eight hours. Just show them your output. Do not show them how many hours you're working. Just show them this is the output you're producing. Well, that sounds kind of fun, actually. How, how does that create not as much fun? Because the project I was working in, they were asking me to put in 15 minutes, 20 minutes, 30 minutes where I'm spending. 
and I do not want to work on that model where I have to spend and show how many minutes I'm spending on each activity because I was believing that I get to showcase my work in terms of output. Got it. And so I also hear collaborate with teams who like to generate output differently than the way you most like to do it. Is that right? Right. Yes. Great. Well, that would certainly, that, that makes sense of how you could not have as much fun in tech. That you have a certain style and you're working and collaborating with people of a, diff- a really different style than yours. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, great. And so we, we could have you, you could, we could spend an hour have, having you continue to teach us so you would start to get, oh, I'm the creator of not having fun in tech. So this concept called teach the class is one of my favorite tools that anybody can figure out right away of teach me how you have created the thing that you say you don't want. And then the good news is you don't need a coach or a therapist because you've already just written down what not to do. And you just go do the opposite of all those things. And you're likely going to come back and have fun in tech again. Mm Mm-hmm. So that's one of the most practical tools. So I do this all the time with teams, like teach me a course on how not to make your numbers for this last quarter. Teach me a course on how not to have good communication between teams. Teach me a course on how to lower, have low morale around the, the office. So it's a, it's a tool that people can use both individually and as a team. So when you ask people to create this masterclass, what is the outcome to have this masterclass done? What is the outcome? Yes. Well, the outcome is you get to come back and own that you're the creator. This didn't just happen to you. This happened by you. And so that you have the power to change it and that you have the power to come back and have fun if if fun is what you want to have in tech. There's got to be a possibility in which that can happen. And we can apply this principle of teaching a class into any other area. It doesn't have to be in tech, right? We can apply anywhere. You can apply how to, you know, you could, you could teach a course on how to have your kids not eat healthy. You could teach a course on how to not have a great sex life. You could teach a course on how to, you know, not have the bank account numbers that you want. So once we have this masterclass done, I believe that we will have more self-awareness about what we have done and what we are doing. Then what would be the next step to literally eliminate this drama? So then we're, we mostly just are going to go, if we choose to, we can go do the opposite of everything we just wrote down about how to follow our course. And those opposites take us in a new direction back to where we want to be. It's very interesting. Would you say that this piece of eliminating drama is part of conscious leadership? Yes. Yes, because consciously you'd say to me, if I'm coaching you, Diana, I'd like to have more fun in tech. And I would say, are you having fun in tech? And you'd say, no. And I would say, that means you're unconsciously committed to not having fun in tech. The idea is you're the creator of it. Now you don't wake up in the morning and say, hooray, another day not to have fun in tech. You don't consciously say that, but if you're not having fun in tech, unconsciously it's what you're committed to. And so what I work when I work with leaders, one of the things I'm having them take a look at is look at all the results that are happening in your life, both personally and professionally. Those results that you say that you want, those are your conscious commitments. Like you say you want to have a podcast and you want to have a lot of people listening and telling you how much they enjoy your podcast. And to the extent that that's happening, that's a conscious commitment. But then there are other things that are happening in our lives in which we say, I didn't want this, but that's showing up. I'd say that's your unconscious commitment. And if you can take responsibility that you're the creator of it, you can then unwind it and create something different. So if someone is doing something based on their unconscious beliefs or unconscious commitments, that is unconscious. We cannot see that. So how do we unwind and literally let go of that unconscious pattern that is serving us not in a good way? That's what Teach the Class is all about. 
teaching the class, that exercise helps bring the unconscious to conscious awareness. So, Diana, so you asked me about teaching a class because we were having this dialogue. If someone doesn't have a coach or a therapist, this unconscious pattern is running in their mind. They literally don't know that this is happening in the background, correct? Well, all they have to do is they can download on our resource page on our website, conscious.is. There's a handout called Teach the Class, and anybody can do this. They don't need a coach or a therapist. They can just follow through the exercise of writing it all down, and then they've got clarity about how they've gotten to where they are and what they can do to change that. That is very awesome. I'm going to try that practice for sure. Not try, I'm going to practice that <laughs> handout and put the link in the show notes. So Great. let's touch upon conscious leadership. Why conscious leadership? What is the difference between leadership and conscious leadership? What's the difference between leadership and conscious leadership? Right. I mentioned earlier, conscious in my mind, I define it as to be here now in a non-triggered, non-reactive state. So I actually can be fully aware of what's happening in and around me without being contracted or reactive. So most people I see aren't actually here now. They're out in the future or they're back in the past. And so what I'm interested in is helping people get here now, right here, butt in the chair. How are you? And what's happening here? And then can you be here now and not be in some kind of a contracted place that keeps you from learning and growing? So in the be here and now, do you suggest any mindfulness meditation practice to the leaders? Well, I absolutely recommend that everybody who work with me, not recommend, I require, that everybody who work with me at the minimum 10 minutes a day are doing a traditional meditation practice of noticing and allowing. That that is a, a muscle that I want everybody growing. And so to sit and just be available to notice and allow without interpretation or judgment is one way we start to become more able to be conscious in each moment. So Diana, when did you start meditation in your own personal life? Let's see. That's a great question. I haven't... When did I start? I must have been about 35 years ago I started. Wow. Were, there, were there any events leading up to that? moment of starting a meditation was there something going on before that if anything comes to your mind no nothing in particular i mean i've always just i've always been a seeker i've always been interested in what can take me back to love and so i was part of a spiritual community in which i got introduced to meditation and that was the beginning of of that journey of you know and learning all different kinds of ways of meditating and have found it to be extremely beneficial. And during what time of the day do you practice meditation and for how many minutes? I'm usually doing 10 minutes a day. And I often, well, that's not true. I was going to say I often start in the morning, but it's, it's, I don't have a very specific practice of some time of the day. It's, it, it arises when it arises as an opportunity to, to sit and notice and allow. So I'm curious to ask you, when you wake up in the morning, what do you do in the first 60 to 90 minutes of your waking up? One of the very first things I do is I often kiss the back of my hand up my arm. That might sound funny, but I do that. <laughs> and I Why? just... Because I just want to express gratitude to be this character named Diana, to have a body, to exist in reality right now. I'm, I express this just great gratitude to be me and to be this unique expression of consciousness through this particular character that is a, a very special opportunity that won't last very long. It'll end at the end of the life of of, of my life as, as Diana. 
And so I, I, I find that I start my days often in great gratitude for the opportunity. And I really like appreciating myself as you know, the, the things that are wonderful and quirky and the things that are a pain in the ass about her. And they're all, they all have, they're all a wonderful experience to have. What are you grateful for these days, these years, anything in particular come to your mind? Well, I'm grateful to be in this big mess right now that's happening. It's complicated and it's exciting because, you know, there's it's like, will humanity take themselves out or will they wake up in time? You know, stay tuned for more of, you know, planet Earth. So I'm I'm particularly excited about this movie we're all co-creating right now. And it's 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 edgy. You know, I, it's not obvious what's going to happen. You say that co-creating, you have used this word co-creating a couple of times. Why is it that we are co-creating something? Do we take radical responsibility for everything what is going on in the world? I am. <laughs> I'm taking radical responsibility. How is everything out there? How? What can I do? What's my part in co-creating everything I see out there? And so when I see a war out there, and I see some parts wanting to dominate other parts. I go look at the see how is that a mirror for the war happening in here? And can I notice that there are parts in me that want to take over other parts of me and see them as less valuable? And so I go do my own work, inner work here to, as an invitation for that, what I see out there invites me to come do my work so that I can be the resolution inside of myself first and then outside. So I also take a look at climate change and how am I co-creating climate change and what are the choices that I make in my life that are impacting the overall well-being of all people and species. So I'm looking at all of it as I am the co-creator of it. If I understand you correctly, Diana, so you are taking responsibility from a place of curiosity and doing the inner work and resolving those inner parts of you, not not from a place of beating yourself. Why you did that? Is that correct? Yeah, I'm not interested in blaming myself, but I am interested in looking and learning and staying curious, you know. How am I co-creating systemic racism? What's my part to play in that? Teach the course. I can teach the course on how I'm co-creating that with others. And what could I do differently to help resolve that? So always, these are always the questions that I'm looking into. Then how do you usually work on the inner process? Do we have a system, framework, coach, therapist to do this, to do this inner work? Oh, I have lots of different tools. <laughs> I have so many different tools that I've learned over Please the years. Please tell us some of them. Well, I really like to, well, again, I like to go see what's the mirror. One of my favorite tools is what's the mirror? How am I just like the thing out there that I have an aversion to? And in fact, the more averse I am to something, I get excited because it lets me know there's something that hasn't yet been fully loved and accepted in myself. And until I can fully love and accept all of these parts, I can't really be free. So one of my favorite tools is just to see the mirror. How am I just like that? And can I welcome that and not make that bad or wrong? Which means I also then have to relax my mind. And I love looking at the opposite of my story, how, you know, I shouldn't be that way. It's at least as true that I should be that way. And one of the reasons I should be that way is I'm human and humans get reactive and they do silly things. And so I'm, you know, there's all kinds of, I can, you know, the 15 commitments are, honestly are some of the, I pulled some of my favorite tools from all that I studied with. And those are the tools that we use in the book. And the first commitment is taking responsibility. Could you name any one commitment, which is hard for you to keep up personally? Mm -hmm. Yeah, one of the commitments is, <laughs> would I be willing to 
experience that I have enough of everything, enough time, enough space, enough love, enough money, enough friendship, enough. And uh, I can sometimes, like many people, get caught in I don't have enough time. That can be a challenge. I can also get caught up in, I love, if you knew me, you would know I love to eat food. And sometimes I have had enough of something delicious and, I, and yet I want more. And so that can be a challenge to recognize I have enough already. Diana, your work is in the area of leadership, helping leaders evolve. But when I speak to you right now, it seems to me that you come from a therapeutic psychology background. Is that correct? Do you have any psychology background? I studied some psychology in college, and I studied with Gay and Kathleen Hendricks for deeply for 10 years, who both have PhDs in psychology. So I do have some psychology background in that way, yes. And when I was going through some resources on your website, conscious.is, I saw that there is a book that is being recommended. Are you my type? Am I yours? Relationships made easy through the Enneagram. Do you remember about that book? Yes. And why this book is recommended on your website. And the second book is The Big Leap, Conquer Your Hidden Fear and Take Life to the Next Level by Gay Hendricks again. Mm. So that's one of many books we recommend on the Enneagram. And I am a huge, huge fan of the Enneagram. I think it is a beautifully articulated model for what causes human beings to leave the present moment. I'm a type eight on the Enneagram, and what causes the eight to leave the moment is a belief that the world is a dangerous place and that I have to watch out and that things can be against me. Me and Donald Trump, we have the same type. And <laughs> when Donald believes his snake, just like when I believe my snake, we can act in very aggressive ways and we want to put up walls and we want to... We want to believe that something's out to get us, which can get us into some big trouble if we're not careful. And what I love about the Enneagram is it articulates this snake in your head and make sure that you become aware that this snake is there and it's not telling you a truth. And you have to be aware of that. And so I use the Enneagram with every one of my clients with, I think, great success. And so that's that book, Are You My Type? Am I Your Type? I think is one of many. There are other books I like even more than that one for, about the Enneagram. And the reason I ask you about this question is I have had this resistance about taking this test for a long time. People have asked me, have you taken this test? And I am not wanting to take this test. But when I was preparing about this interview, I saw this Enneagram thing and I thought, okay, maybe it is time for me to take this test. So what is the credible source to take this test? Because there are so many places on the internet? There are. I really like Enneagram.is. Enneagram is. Enneagram.is. Is, they offer a fantastic test. That's the test that we use for our clients. There are some other tests out there that I think can be helpful as well, but we really like Enneagram.is. And I think it's $20 and you can take a test and get some, some clarity. The challenge with Enneagram is there is no good, accurate, 100% test, and that's what makes it tricky. And for our clients, we have them actually work with a certified typer because there's it's complicated knowing what your type is. It's not so obvious from just your outside behaviors. It's, it has a lot more to do with your inner your inner world. And so, so that's, those are my suggestions is you can start with a test, an online test, but if you really want to get clear, I'd work with a certified Enneagram typer. And that certified Enneagram coach or typer is through your website? We have them on our we have them on our team and there I'm sure that there are many others out there. But yes, at any at the Conscious Leadership Group, our organization, people can come and get typed through us. So do you coach individuals or the teams only? I coach a few individuals. I used to coach a lot of them, but I've I've broken that down now. I coach just a few individuals. I mostly work with forums that are groups of 10 people who are organizational leaders. 
and or I work with executive teams and and their reports. And so I like the variety and I like and I also do trainings with even larger groups of people and I'm spending more and more time with bigger and bigger groups mm. these days. And then I'm curious to ask you why Enneagram could be useful or is useful to explore new levels of possibilities. Because everybody has this blind spot they don't even know is there and the Enneagram points it out to them. And the Enneagram says, we don't want to put you in a box. We want to show you your inner box that you don't know you're in. And once you can see it, you can get out of it. But if you can't see it, you don't know that you're trapped in something that is, a, is you know, something you can't see. And that's, and the other reason why is because the Enneagram also really helps you identify these superpowers, these gifts that you have that really are you know, the, the great things you have to give to the world. And so I like the combination of seeing the blind spots and, and embracing the gifts. And it also helps you understand why other people get reactive and why they behave the way they behave. It's like everything makes sense to me through the lens of the Enneagram. My husband, my children, I became such a better parent and partner and to, to my husband, to my business partners. And so I, I very much, I use the model everywhere I go. And I'm very curious to ask you how Enneagram has helped you in your relationship with your partner, your, your, your husband. Yeah. So my husband is a type one on the Enneagram. It's called the reformer or the perfectionist. And there's a very particular way he likes things. And I used to hear him as critical, but now I understand that the snake in his head says there is a right way and you have to do it the right way. And so now I, I don't take it personally anymore that he's so, that he can be critical and saying that I'm not doing it right. Like he'll say like the dishwasher isn't <laughs> fixed right. You know, I realize like, oh, if I had that snake in my head, I'd be wanting you to come over and fix this in the dishwasher too. It's not, it's not personal. And so I now can enjoy it. I know I now I run up to the dishwasher and I say, yes, sir, Sergeant, sir, reporting for dishwasher duty, sir. And I can play with it because I understand he's just caught in a, you know, in a belief over there that there's a right way to put a dishwasher, you know, put dishes in the dishwasher. So, so I have found a lot of empathy and compassion for some of the behaviors that I used to find, you know, honestly, you know, irritating and now, and vice versa. And and we can remind each other like, hey, sweetheart, it doesn't have to be, you know, there's not just a right way. There might be multiple ways here. And he reminds me of that as well, because our both of our types can be judgmental. Um, and it also really helped me. I parented my children more like how I wanted to be parented and it didn't always work. And when I learned their types and got educated on how to parent them more in the style of their type, they, they literally commented like, whatever you're doing, it's working. So I, you know, I found that I was, a, I was more effective in understanding and giving people more of what they wanted from their vantage point. Have you explored different personality types? Such as, you know, different personality type certifications, such as DISC, DISC, and other kinds of personality types. Yeah, I love all those. I, I, you know, I've studied a lot of those and I like them and they do show you what, you know, what your personality likely, you know, here's the issue. If you have this issue, here's usually how you're going to respond to that issue. I think it's valuable. But what I like about Enneagram that's different is Enneagram is looking at consciousness. It's not looking at personality. It's looking at what's the, the reactive pattern that takes you away from God, from love, from the present moment. It's, it's, a very, it's looking at a very different thing inside of us. And so that's why that's, that's the theme I'm interested in is what takes us away from love. And that's why I like that model. It's very interesting. A friend of mine who is a tech founder, he did, or his team did actually, a precision profile interview on me. Have you heard about precision profiling? I don't remember if I, I I've had so many profiles, I don't remember. So I, they, remember. they walk you through, they ask you the same set of questions and your interview goes to three different psychologists in his company. And they see you, what kind of personality do you have? And based on mm -hmm. that, they create a role in the company. If you are provocative, 
if you are this or that they will give you task or work accordingly so so that there is no there is no conflict you know that because you told me that i have something that he doesn't have it as a founder so he would have me in his company so that we can create things that he is not able to create on his i'm i'm, I'm paraphrasing here so knowing about the personalities so that we are not surprised he has used this model with his wife and he he's saying that he has no surprises why they have conflicts or anything like that i think it's it, it may be similar to enneagram yeah i don't know it sounds really it sounds wonderful i'm curious decision profile so he teaches others how to use this model so i'm very interested in learning that process at some some point and so for now i will take the enneagram and i will put enneagram.is link in the show notes so that people can go from here so and diana so when you were talking about enneagram with your husband and one concept that comes to mind is clearing model that is part of conscious leadership so how do you how do you clear the arguments the judgments or conflicts what could you explain that clearing model script to us well the clearing model is a very particular tool that we have people use when they feel disconnected from somebody else so sometimes we're in a conflict and we don't feel disconnected and we just need to have a candid conversation but the clearing model is specifically i don't feel connected to you anymore and the clearing model is a series of questions that you answer and share with either the person directly or you can just go through the model in your own head you don't have to have the person in front of you and the model basically is taking you through these different questions so that you can come to the awareness that the reason you've created a disconnection is because there's something about that person that you have an aversion to something that you don't like or maybe you haven't even owned about your own self and that once you can own that part in yourself and you can accept that part in yourself the connection comes back online and so it's a it's a sophisticated tool it requires a lot of curiosity and a lot of letting go of being right to do to do the tool effectively but ultimately it's about eating your projections that you put out onto the world so that you can love that part in yourself and therefore come back and love that part in the other would you mind giving us an example of clearing model script yeah so the first well so it starts out with you know what happened where you got reactive and you got disconnected and so what what are the facts what did the camera record so and then that's the first question what did the camera record what are the facts what are the stories that you made up about those facts and we all are making up all kinds of stories all that we ups- upset ourselves with then what are your feelings what what emotions are here and what do you want like if i really were to know you what do you want around this situation and then the next one is how did you create the disconnect here's how i created the disconnection with you and then it comes down to then the how what is it about you that i have an aversion to and also an attraction to they're both places that i might not have owned or loved about myself and so that's when the big pop happens for people where they realize oh i see i see how i judged somebody out there that created a disconnect because it's something i haven't yet owned or loved about myself hmm so if someone there are many tools many practices in the conscious leadership and someone just starting this work what would be the first few steps beginner steps to get started on this process we put our we put the commitments in order so we think that they are in order because well the first two commitments really are the cornerstone commitments everything else really falls off of taking radical responsibility and letting go of being right about the way you see the world righteously i should say and so those are the first two places to play which is stop blaming and take responsibility for how you're creating your circumstances or at least creating the the, the circumstances that you have control over let me be very clear about that some of us are dealing with situations that don't feel very friendly at all to us 
And there are things that we don't have control over. And those are not, we're not to blame or we're not responsible for those things. But we are, but for where are we having control is where people would take radical responsibility. And so like the teach the class that I suggested earlier, that handout can be a very good first step to shift us out of victimhood and come back to being the creators of our well-being. And is there a difference between taking responsibility and ownership of something? Because we hear this term, radical ownership, radical responsibility. Is there a difference between responsibility and ownership? I think there, I th- well, some people may have a definition difference, but for me, they seem the same. It's just what can I own or where can I take responsibility for how I have co-created this experience? Hmm. It's a radical concept and it's very provocative. And again, there are people who are victims to crimes. So I'm not suggesting that they have to take responsibility for being the victim of a crime. What I'm at, what I am suggesting is once the crime has occurred, they get to take responsibility for how they're going to process and be with that crime so that they can come back to some wholeness. Exactly. So I'm wondering at present moment, are you working on something to letting go of being right? Is there anything that you are still working on letting go of that thing? Oh, like a thousand things. (laughs) Always. I mean, it's every day, every day, my mind wants to be right about so many things. And so I'm, I'm constantly paying attention. You know, I, what was I, I was working on the other day is I shouldn't be lazy. I could feel my judgment coming in about laziness, being judgmental toward myself and others for being lazy. Russia shouldn't in, invade Ukraine. I'm, I can feel I'm very wanting to be right about that. Righteously so. I do believe I'm, I don't think it's a good idea for them to invade. I don't think that's a fair and just thing to do. But when I'm righteous about it, I'm not available to really learn and understand and see the mirror and all the other things that can happen when I'm in a place of curiosity. Then how do you process all of this self-righteousness, letting go? How do you work through all these things? I like to go and explore the opposites of my story. How could the opposite be at least as true so that I relax my righteousness and I still have my preferences, but I'm not righteous and contracted around those. So So opposite of my story is one of my favorite tools. I use it all day long. So what would be the opposite of Russia invading Ukraine in your mind? It wakes us all up to how much instability is still happening all over, including the United States. It, 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 it helps us recognize that there's a lot of vulnerability. It helps us wake up to this issue around cyber war and how dangerous it can be. And, you know, where are, where are we with all of that? They sh- be- so they they should attack so we can become aware of these things. They should attack so we can recognize these leaders who have been ruling in ways that are not creating win for alls for all people and need to be addressed and not tolerated. And so this attack could maybe wake people up to say, no more, stop in a way that we've been complacent up until now. Yes, thank you for sharing. Diana, I was going through your different interviews and you have talked about whole body yes, meditation, living and leading through whole body yes. So I was thinking maybe you could talk about it in this interview as well. What do you think? Whole body yes, what is whole body yes? Sure. So The idea of whole body yes is the idea that when we are making choices and decisions in our lives, we have three centers of intelligence that we can tap to help guide us. We have our IQ, our EQ, our emotional intelligence, and our BQ, our body or instinctual intelligence. And so 
When we're present, when we're really present here in the moment and we're not reactive, listening to all three centers can help us make much more effective decisions. And so it's listening for the whole body to guide us. Is it yes or no? Is it a whole body yes or is it a whole body no? And my experience is when leaders who often are having to make quick decisions that have a lot of impact on a lot of people, the more they can utilize their whole body to make those decisions, the more effective those decisions are for for the whole. Is there a way to listen to gut brain, heart brain, mind brain to have whole body yes? What does the process look like? First of all, you have to get a sense of what is your own map look like inside of your system for what yes feels like. And so I have a guided meditation that I lead people through where you can think back of a memory that was deeply nurturing, something that you had a great yes to, and you can think back and be in that memory and feel what it feels like in your head, your heart, and your gut, and use that as a map to start to see what it feels like when you're considering options. You want to go with that feeling. And so I help people find what a yes feels like, what a big no feels like, and what a little no feels like. And wholebodyyes.com is the place to learn all about that concept and to get that guided meditation. Wholebodyyes.com, does that belong to you or is it for someone else? Yes, it belongs to me. It's part of our Conscious.is website, but it's easier for people to remember wholebodyyes.com takes them right there. Great. I will put that link in the show notes as well. So, Diana, and before I ask you my last question, I want to ask you that how do you find satisfaction and happiness on a regular basis? How do you find awe moments in your everyday life? Well, I think that I've learned a lot from meditation, which is, can I just notice and allow for the moment? Notice and allow what's happening in me, around me. And then from that place, I can make a change if I choose to. But it's that acceptance, that allowance that really brings me to a place of deep contentment. And so I'm grateful for the ability to allow and welcome humanity to do what humanity does, me to do what I do, and then learn and grow from there. Thank you for sharing. What other books besides conscious leadership have helped you change your perspective, thinking, have had the most impact in your life, if some of them comes to your mind? Well, you had mentioned The Big Leap earlier. That's one of the books we recommend. And I love this book. I think it's a fantastic book that really talks about how we all have a set point for how good life can be. And that set point often comes very directly from our families of origin and that we have the power to grow that set point so we can handle more beautiful day-to-day living. And So he goes into details about how to do that and what it means to discover the unconscious patterns that might keep us from having a happier life. So I like that book a lot. I've recommended that to almost everybody. And I've gotten 100% response back that that was a valuable read. And I'm going to order that book right away. So, Tana, it has been a great conversation with you. And... Is there anything that we could have explored more and didn't get a chance to talk about? I think we covered a lot of territory today. So I I think that's a that's a good amount to start with. Yes. And where can people find you online? So we are the Conscious Leadership Group, and you can find us at conscious.is, conscious is. And we have particularly there a resource page with a very vast amount of content for people to explore. And we like to share it broadly with with others. Awesome. Any parting thoughts, any closing thoughts, recommendations, anything you want to share with us, Diana? Let's see. What I would just say is 
that one of the things that I'm asking all of my fellow humans to do, and I'm asking of myself is I just think we have to get more uncomfortable if we really want to change the things that aren't working amongst us. And so I, I'm inviting everybody to see if you'd be willing to take that leap of faith into those areas of your life that you've been tolerating because you haven't wanted to be uncomfortable. And from there, I think we've got a real chance of making something beautiful together. And which is a beautiful question to explore on a journal that what we are comfortable with, how can we break that comfort and have more uncomfort in our lives in a loving way, not to beat ourselves up? Yes. You're, are you asking a question? No, I was just saying this is a great oh. question for us to explore on a journal. Yes, yes, and journal about, oh, I, I see. Yes, I think journaling is a great place to come look at. What am I not willing to face? What changes am I not willing to make? Even though I know they would be really the, the changes that would most support my aliveness and perhaps the well-being of others. And am I, what are those things? And can we journal about those? I think that's a great idea. Yes, thank you so much, Diana. It was... A very provocative, loving conversation with you. I appreciate your time. Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you. Hey guys, before you leave, I want to thank you for flying with this show, flying high with this show and choosing as one of your main podcasts. We value your opinion and invite you to tell us about your experience by taking our brief survey, our records show that you flew from point A to point B while driving or walking today. Based on this trip, how likely are you to recommend this podcast to a friend or colleague where zero equals extremely unlikely and 10 equals extremely likely? Yeah, it is a survey, but it is really, really quick. We know that you have a very valuable opinion and it will help us improve the podcast experience for you. And the survey link is in the podcast episode description please 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 fill out this five minute survey form it will really help to create a magical experience for your dear listener thank you so much from the bottom of my heart